welcome. Prepare your heart as we dive into the Word of God. Pastor Steve of Beloved Church in Lena, Illinois is about to lead you into a life-changing encounter with grace and truth. Jesus Christ has a divine destiny perfectly orchestrated for those who are willing to be adventurous enough to receive His favor and blessing into their life. Our prayer is that you will allow the presence of the comforting Holy Spirit of God to radically display the Father's love for you. You are a part of God's beloved family, and that means you are greatly loved. Now over to Pastor Steve. Does anybody know what series we are in? King and Kingdom. I was, uh, I was talking to, um, I think it was Bob the other day, and we were uh, discussing a situation from someone that we both knew. And uh, it became, it became uh, awake and alive in me that I probably haven't covered the king of the king and kingdom as effectively as I could. Because this particular person's life, they were just completely unsubmitted to the Lordship of Christ. And because of it, their life was being absolutely destroyed. Um, I don't know if you know this, but it, to the degree that you're not submitted to Christ, you are submitted to Satan. Got, I got two mm-hmms and five head nods. So either the rest of you are asleep, or you don't agree, or you just got shocked. But to the degree that you are not submitted to the king, you are by default submitted to the other king. You, there is no kingdom of your own making. You think there is because you're free and you can do whatever you want. I got news for you. You serving self is a default position of serving Satan because Satan energizes self. That's why the flesh has to die. And so you're either serving the king and he is either in a place of lordship in your life or there is another lord and you're serving him. And I know that this is probably offensive to the people that are serving. So if, if you're out there, just smile and, and nod along and act spiritual and nobody will know that you've had the wrong king when you walked in here. And I, and I know that we as an American, as a, as a Western civilization, and honestly only in about the last hundred years, have we struggled with the concept of king or lord? Because for the other 6,000 years of human history, it was the, the understanding of king and or lordship was totally a normal, understood thing. Totally normal. Only in the last 100 years where we've removed all personal responsibility and we removed submission... And we've removed the benefits of authority. Have we gotten to the place to where you think that you are the God of your own life? Not you, because you guys are the good ones. Um, some people think that they are their own God. They are in the place of their own lordship. And they are in charge of all the things of their life. That is the most deceptive plan that the enemy has ever conceived for a quote-unquote believer. Because that person thinks... That they're just doing the stuff that they need to do. Who's going to take care of number one if I don't? And by default, they have literally submitted their entire life 
to the oppor- to the opportunities and the and the um, the seeds of the enemy in his darkness. So I pray that when you walk out of here today, that you walk out as a person in complete and total submission to the King of all kings and the Lord of all lords, who, through his influence in your life, is the only one that can bring you the fullness of joy, the fullness of blessing, the fullness of life, the fullness of peace, the fullness of truth. He does not want to be your Lord and be your king, so he got his little minions that are going to serve him and give him a foot rub every night. He wants to Lord and be king in your life because only he knows how your life is best operated. Because he created you. The more you submit to that process, the more joy, the more peace, the more prosperity, the better your marriage, the, the more amazing everything is in your life. Man, I do not know. Why? I am struggling with this mic. All right. Uh, Luke chapter 12. This is our foundational scriptures. Luke chapter 12. Verses uh, 31 and 32. And I have a ton of stuff to release to you today. And so I want you to, uh, firstly, I want you to remember that there was a time in your life that you loved me. (laughs) Amen. I I think about it sometimes, like, they used to love me. Um, And then the second thing I want you to do is I want you to be believing in your heart that I can I can be complete. I don't want to I don't want to be walking down the path and find a rabbit trail and stick my head down there um, because who knows what's down those holes that grab me, keep me for a while, and then I got to fight it off and come back. It's just a whole thing. So just believe that I'll stay on the trail, and if I see a rabbit trail, I'll just be like, oh, I'll come back to that if I have time. Twelve. 31 and 32 of Luke. But rather, seek ye, and obviously you don't start any statement, but with, but rather. So we know that that's connected to what's before, but I'm not going to go there because that's a rabbit trail at the moment. But rather, seek ye, and in Matthew, when Jesus said this, at a different instance, by the way, these are two different instances that he said this. So this wasn't just one random time that he said something, so you can ignore it because he only said it once. (laughs) Because that's what the kids do, right? When the parents say, hey, do this. And they're like, oh, we'll see if they say it again. We, we're not those kind of people. When the Lord says something, whether he says it once or twice or a thousand times, we're going to do it. Amen? Amen? But he did say it in two different instances, two different ways. He said, but rather seek. And then in Matthew 6, uh, 33, he said, seek first. Seek first. Now, I've, I've become aware of the fact that there are actually people that aren't even seeking. I mean, anything. They're just like breathing. Some of them barely. It's, they're, it's zombie. It's like zombie land sometimes when I'm out there. Just like, 
I will put on the mask. I will do what I am told. I will submit to your tyranny. Can I please have McDonald's? Literally, you could make anybody do anything for you. You can put anybody into any depths of slavery if you just give them enough entertainment and comfort. It is so true. It is so true. Look at the world. If you give them just enough entertainment and just enough personal comfort, they will do anything. They'll give you any amount of money. If you pump in to that, to like that sports fan guy, if you pump enough sports into their life, you can put them in complete slavery. Complete slavery. It, 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 and I, and I, all the gals are nodding, but oh, we got stuff for you, QVC. <laughs> if they would have put us on lockdown 20 months ago, and they would have pulled the cord on all of your glowing screens, there would have been blood in the streets. There would have been blood. You would have been dragging the carcasses of the tyrants down the street, leaving a blood trail. But because they gave you free Netflix, free Amazon Prime, free Pornhub, free Sport, free Replay, because they pumped enough comfort and enough entertainment into our lives, they were able to take captive an entire nation that was once the land of the free and the home of the brave. And they just bowed the knee and said, okay, whatever you say, two weeks to slow the spread. Twenty months later, put your two masks on and get your four jabs. What was a conspiracy theory six months ago is now the hell that people are living in. First, seek. Let me say this. Seek. Don't be one of those. Don't be a zombie. Seek. But in your seeking, seek first His righteousness, His kingdom. And this isn't something that I think I've, I've been really clear on either. His righteousness, not righteousness. His righteousness. There's, there's two different ways that you need to have revelation of this. And I say revelation. I'm going to give you information. You're going to have to meditate on it. And then you're going to have to get revelation. And then you're going to have to put it to activation. And that will turn into transformation. But first, you need the information. There's two aspects of this. First of all, it's His righteousness. It's not yours. And you ain't never going to get there. It has to be His kind of righteousness. It's not your prettied up righteousness. It's not your sow that you ran through the shower and put a bow on it. It's His righteousness. And it's only His that works. And secondly, righteousness doesn't mean in right standing with the world. It means being in right standing with God. And you know how many people don't give a rip. 
well, God loves me anyway. I can do this. God's given me grace. God forgave me so I can do this. That would only work to a religious, selfish person. Because all of you, probably all of you, if you don't know, I'm going to about to shock you. But there was a time in my life that I was violating every way you could say it, my marriage to Kay. I violated our covenant. I broke our covenant. And lived in that broken place for years. And then Jesus... Like Jesus does, he comes into your darkest place. And he offers you his grace and his love and his mercy and his forgiveness. And Jesus rescued me, saved me out of my own destruction. And in my awakening, I became very aware of the devastation that I did to one of the most amazing people on the planet, my bride. (laughs) I did not plan on doing this. Praise you, Jesus. And I drove home in my 2002 Tundra as fast as I could make her go and slammed it into the the driveway and rushed into the house and she was washing dishes. She was in there serving our home, serving me, and serving our children, knowing what I was doing. For all you ladies, let that become a reality to you. And I came through the door filled with snot and tear and guilt and shame and hope and threw myself at Kay's feet while she's dripping with dawn water and begged her to forgive. And she didn't have to. She lived in a place of forgiveness with me. Radical. And her and I's relationship in that moment, like, took off for the stratosphere and we've never looked back. Which speaks again to the, to how amazing Kay is. Because that totally could have been held against me for the next 5, 10, 15, 20 decades. Like many women do. And she forgot it. And we went into an amazing place in our relationship and we haven't looked back since. How would she feel if I said, well, since she forgave me, since she was merciful to me that one time, since she let everything go, it'd be fine for me to go chase all the girls I want to chase, defile our covenant once again, because she forgave me before, she'll forgive me again. She'll be fine. You know how many of us kind of live a Christian life that way? Well, I know that this is not what the Lord wants, but He'll forgive me. I mean, He He took all the stripes that He needed to take on the cross. They nailed 
his hands and feet. They tortured him, pulled his beard out, punched him in the face, mocked him. Did terrible, terrible things to him. But, you know, he's over it. So it's not really that important for me to honor the, every drop of blood that fell from his carcass that day. Because he'll just keep forgiving me. It's just a little thing. And I know in this moment, because we're in church and it's Sunday and you you got all your spiritual juices flowing, that that this is probably having a little bit of an emotional impact on you. But what's the reality of the impact? The reality of the impact is on Wednesday, 10 o'clock in the morning, you're going to kind of do your thing. And the words of Pastor Steve have long since dissipated into the glowing screen of the entertainment. Seek first his kingdom, his righteousness. And then everything that you actually truly need for your life will be added to you. And if he don't add it, you don't need it. <laughs> this is something that uh, this is something that personally impacted me. I, I ch- this changed my prayer life when I figured this out. When I figured out that God really probably wants to give me the things that are really, really valuable and important to my life, and I don't need to tell him what those things are, this radically changed my prayer life. I can honestly say, I, I do not remember, literally I do not remember the last time I prayed to God for anything for myself. A, because I actually believe this principle, that if I'm seeking first Him and His kingdom, that He'll bring me what I need so I don't need to ask for it. And secondly, most of the time, I really don't know what I need. I'm not that smart. Because I would say, like, all right, well, give me a million dollars. And the Lord's like, you do know that the million dollars won't even cover the parking lot of the church that I want you to build. Oh. Okay. We don't think like he thinks. So when you say, Lord, I just need 50 bucks for the electric bill, he's like, $50. Okay. Okay. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. It's not for sale. You can't buy it. You can't trade for it. You can't manipulate God for it like you do mankind. Romans chapter 10, I'm going to read this from the Passion Translation. The The name of what I'm doing today, you guys know how I feel about naming messages, But the name of this is uh, Savior, King, and Friend. And I I know I've alluded to this fact before, that these are three different places of relationship that Jesus wants to occupy in our lives. 
and many people think that they have one and they don't have the other and they're actually in this one and, and, it, and it makes relationship awkward. If I think that I'm Chris's best friend, then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have uh, thoughts or assumptions or even uh, p- have placed a demand on that relationship that Chris doesn't have if we're not actually best friends. You realize how much of a strain that's going to put on our relationship? (laughs) And there's a lot of people in here that you think that Jesus is your best friend. God bless you. Please lay hands on me. In verse 5 in Romans chapter 10 in the Passion Translation, and I'm going to read through this in Jesus' name. What I'm saying is I'm not going to stop and preach on every third word like I would if I had endless amounts of time with a bunch of people that were really excited to hear what I had to say. So I'm going to, I'm going to, he's trying to be my best friend. (laughs) So I'm going to, I'm just going to read through these in Jesus' name, which is a whole lot easier in the passion because it just kind of says it. So I want you to go home later and study this. And I know I just talked to like two of you, because the rest of you are like, go home and study. Sunday, you preached already. I did all my spiritual stuff. Verse 5. Moses, I want you to remember Moses. (laughs) Touche. Moses wrote long ago, stop it, Moses wrote long ago about the need to obey every part of the law in order to be declared right with God. That's righteousness. The one who obeys these things must always live in them. That's a quote. Next verse. You're gonna have to, you're gonna have to keep me going back there, sis, because if you, if you leave it up there, I'll find something. But we, but we receive the faith righteousness that speaks an entirely different message. Don't for a moment think you need to climb into the heavens to find the Messiah and bring Him down. This is most people's prayer life. Or descend into the underworld to bring Him up from the dead, which is you abusing condescending, shaming, guilting yourself. You need to go to hell and pay for your sins. No. Jesus went to hell and paid for your sins, and he went to heaven and got every gift you need. So your only focus is him. But the faith righteousness we receive speaks to us in these words of Moses. God's living message is very close to you, as close as your own heart beating in your chest and as near as the tongue in your mouth. In the King James it says, the word of faith that we believe. And what is God's living message? It is the revelation of faith for salvation. Which is the message that we preach. For if you publicly declare... If you confess with your mouth, if you publicly declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord 
and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will experience salvation. Is that a promise? (laughs) The same God that said, light be, just said that. So if you're not experiencing salvation, it ain't God that has been unfaithful. The heart that believes in Him receives the gift of the righteousness of God, and then the mouth confess, and then the mouth confesses, resulting in salvation. This is a heart and mouth thing. This is why the enemy has convinced a bunch of Christians to keep your mouth shut when it talks about declaring things. I just seen somebody uh, <clears throat> radically. It was it was awesome. It was really fun. At this, I was at this little political meeting. And one of these gals kind of heard what I was saying, and she came up to me afterwards. She's like, "Do you? you I, I picked up on what you were saying that you believe in healing." And I'm like, "Believe in healing? <laughs> well, you don't have the half of it." She's like, "Man, I got these problems, and da da da." And I wanted to come up to you before, but I didn't, and so now I'm coming up to you. Is it still okay? Like, is it too late? And I'm like, "Oh, God bless you." <laughs> so I talked her through some of these principles, and I said, "Now I want you. I'm not praying for you." I'm not doing my faith healer stuff. I'm not doing. You're going to do this. I want you to say she had a she had massive, huge pain um, in her feet, so much so that she could not stand for longer than like five or five minutes. And she had a job where she had to stand, so she was going to lose her job if she didn't get this sorted. And none of the doctors knew what was wrong with her. Da da da. da. And I said, I want you to say to your feet what you want. It took me ten minutes to get her to do it. Because it was so weird for her. It was so awkward. And what finally threw her off, I said, have you ever used a hammer and hit yourself? She's like, yeah. I said, what do you say? She goes, I can't tell you because you're a preacher. (laughs) I said, isn't it amazing how we embrace hitting ourselves with a hammer, cussing the hammer, cussing our hands, and throwing the hammer in anger, and that's normal. But a person talking life and health to their feet is so weird and so awkward that I still haven't convinced you after 10 minutes to do it. You see how good the enemy is at this. You can tell your kid all day long that they're stupid, they'll never count to nothing, they're ignorant, you're just like your stupid father, darn kid, da 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 But God forbid you walk into your child and you say, you can do anything that you set your heart to. You have been washed in the blood of Jesus. You have the Spirit of Christ on the inside of you. You can accomplish anything. If you've seen a parent doing that, you say, I must be a weird old Christian at one of those confession churches. For the Scriptures encourage us with these words. Everyone who believes in Him will never... God word will never be disappointed. Amen. Amen. So then faith eliminates the distinction between Jew and non-Jew. For He is the same Lord for all people, and He has enough treasures to lavish generously upon all... What does all mean? To lavish upon all who call on Him. Well, I called on him and he didn't lavish on me. Did you call on him? Really called on him? Or did you just do that like, I'm drowning, throw me a life raft thing? Uh, 
And it's true, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be rescued and experience new life. Amen. Amen. But how can people call on Him for help if they've not yet believed? You're not going to cry out to help to someone you don't know can help you. And how can they believe? And one, they've not yet heard of. Uh, there's a lot of believers that have not, never truly heard of Jesus. They've heard of some deity form of, you know, crucifixion Jesus stuck on a cross still. Dear Jesus. How can they hear the message of life if there is no one there to proclaim it? And how can the message be proclaimed if messengers have yet to be sent? Hello? Messengers, hello? That's why the scriptures say, and this is all a quote, how welcome is the arrival of those proclaiming the joyful news of peace and of good things to come. And this is why a lot of people don't go to church, because they don't hear these kind of messages. They hear how terrible they are and how condemned they are and how sorry they are. They don't hear the joyful news of peace and of good things to come. In fact, they'll make fun of you if you're a church that preaches that there's good things to come. Are you one of those prosperity preachers? (laughs) No, I'm one of the poverty preachers that want you to die in misery. Well, good, then I'll come here. But not everyone welcomes the good news. It's, what a shock. What a, are you, no, everybody welcomes the good news. Everybody wants good news. Really? Have you ever turned on the Communist News Network? Or picked up a newspaper and the front page was, Good news! No, it's somebody died. There's a war. There was an explosion. Did you see what the weather did? Did you... It's always bad news. And I know you're thinking like, man, I would really love to hear good news. No, you don't. You want to hear bad news. There's just something in human nature that draws you to the negative, the bad. Go go converse with someone outside of church, outside of beloved church especially. Just go grab somebody off the street and just start talking to them. I will bet you zero to 60 miles an hour you guys can get into some terrible conversation about some negative thing. So who has believed the report? Not, But not everyone welcomes the good news. How many times I've told somebody, you can be healed. God actually healed you 2,000 years ago. And they're like, I wish. (laughs) Wish no more. (laughs) That's too good news. You don't have to be poor. God bore your poverty. I wish. Don't rub your genie lamp anymore. I know his name. It's Jesus. But not everyone welcomes the good news. As Isaiah said, Lord, is there anyone who hears and believes our message? Just so you know, Isaiah was before Jesus. It's not just, B, uh, it's not just A.D. that people have not believed the good news. People have basically not believed the good news for a long time. Anybody ever heard of Noah? <laughs> hey, I'm building a boat. Y'all can get on here and not die. You're weird and crazy, old man. And why are all those animals lined up two by two? That's kind of awkward. 
Verse 17, faith then is birthed in a heart that responds to God's anointed utterance of the anointed one. Now the reason I read through that is because those verses in Romans chapter 10 are the clearest in all of Scripture and all the New Testament about how a person can be born again, be what's called saved. Now the word saved comes from the uh, Greek word sozo. It's the Savior is the soter, and salvation is soteria. But they're all derivatives of the Greek word sozo. And you've heard me talk about it, those of you that have been around. Sozo is this amazing word, this all-encompassing word that has to do, and I'm going to read you some of the definitions of it here in a minute, but I want you to understand that these scriptures are what most people refer to in the scriptures about how a person can go from spiritual death, being unsaved, and to come into the new birth and be saved. In fact, there's, there's, a, there's a cool thing that we used to do all the time called the Romans Road, where you take Romans uh, 6.26 and Romans 3.23 and then uh, Romans 10, uh, 19 and 20, and you can literally lead someone through into salvation by taking the quote-unquote Romans Road. And that ends with these verses. If you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you shall be saved. And it dawned on me that it doesn't say in there that you have to confess that Jesus is your Lord. I know you're thinking like, well, duh, it's insinuated. Okay, I got news for you. People are always looking for a way to get out of. Have you ever heard of tax evasion? People are always looking for the back door into everything. And so you might think it's insinuated that you confess him as your Lord. It's still not in there. It's confessing him as Lord. I honestly believe that there's a ton of people that are saved that know that Jesus is the Lord, but haven't necessarily made him their Lord. But they're still saved. Figure that out. The only way you can figure that out is to understand the grace and the mercy of the heart of Jesus. Where he saves people that haven't even made him their personal Lord. Now, if I was God... Hold on, let me think about it for a minute. Lightning, thunder, fire. If I was God, I would I would make it a prerequisite. Nope, nope, nope. You got to make me Lord, then I'll save you. And I know you all are thinking, "Well, pastor's so carnal." Really? Should we ask you some questions? I'll give you a mic. This is, this is like our fallen nature. God doesn't operate that way because He is meek. Jesus said, come unto me, all of you that are labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart. Jesus said, I am meek. You know how many people cannot say they are meek because they think saying meek is saying I'm weak? Meekness and weakness are not the same thing. Nobody's ever been stronger than Jesus. Ever. He said at the end of his life, when he told Peter to put up his sword, he said, dude, put your sword up. If you live by the sword, you die by the sword. Don't you know I can call six legions of angels at any time? Just so you know, one angel in the Old Testament killed 128,000. One angel killed 128,000 soldiers. 
And Jesus said he could call six legions of angels. Uh, I don't know if you're doing math, but I'm pretty sure that covers the world. And those angels, all Jesus had to say was, sick them. And it would have been over with. Meekness is not weakness. Meekness is great power, great authority, under great control. Every man in this room should strive for meekness. We come into the kingdom by acknowledging the impossibility of ever bringing salvation to ourselves. The only way to cry out to a Savior is to recognize you are not it. Now, a lot of people are not there. I get that. Even some people in the body of Christ are kind of like, well, you know, I'll let Jesus save these things. And I'll save these things. Jesus can deal with my eternal soul, but I'll handle the finances here there, God. I got this. Really? God bless you. That's a special stupid. And I got news for you. You don't actually believe him to take care of your eternal soul, which is of infinite value, if you can't believe him to take care of your checkbook. Are you following me? You're not actually in faith with him about your soul if you're not in faith with him about your checkbook. (laughs) Thank you for those two amens. This is the new birth and how we take on sonship is through dying to ourself and being raised in newness of life with him. We have now become righteous. When you're born again, you're born a son of God. And I know all the gals are like, no, I'm a daughter. No, you're a son. It's huios in the Greek, and it's not a gender term. It's an identity term. It's an inheritance term. We're so carnal. (laughs) Everything has to do with carnality. I'm not going to go there. See how I've seen the rabbit, and I... You guys, you guys must be praying. My daughter is leading the applause. If anybody knows how I am, I love you. Uh, so let me talk about Savior, because this is where the uh, this is where pretty much all of the body of Christ lands and stays. They built themselves a little camp right here at Savior. And they are all in this camp. Uh, it's, the, it's the Strong's Greek G4982. It was used 108 times. The definition is to save, keep safe and sound, to rescue from danger or destruction. Sub A, to rescue one from danger prescription. Uh, destruction, especially from injury or peril. If you were in the middle of a, of a body of water in a storm and you can barely swim, you would desire sozo. Save me. Save me. Uh, one, to save a suffering one from perishing, i.e., one suffering from disease. To make well, heal, restore to health. 
the word sozo is used congruently with the word healed in the New Testament. Because sickness and disease is a form of destruction that is killing you. And so to be saved or rescued out of sickness and disease is to be sozoed. And we think salvation is just like, well, when I die at the end of my life, I go up instead of down. That, that is that's really not even any of these definitions. It literally means you're in a dangerous place. There is something happening to you right now. There is something really bad, terrible, evil, dark, demonic. And you are being rescued from that thing. So oppression and depression falls on this. God wants to save you from oppression and depression. God wants to save America from the tyranny. Amen. God wants to save you from uh, the terrible, wicked, deceptive lifestyle of working 40 hours for 40 years and thinking that you're getting to the, to the glorious crystal castle of retirement. Dear Jesus, I, I'm not going down that rabbit trail. Mm-hmm. God wants to rescue you and save you out of all of the lies, all of the different things. And in that first initial salvation, it was a moment in your life. Hopefully this is true for everyone here. Otherwise it can be true today. There was a moment in your life that you realized that you were completely incapable of rescuing yourself from the misery, the problems, the darkness, the deception, the lies, the pain that you were in. You were completely incapable. And you called on someone that you believed was capable. And then you experienced his capacity. And you were saved. And, but the thing is, is that it's not supposed to be a singular moment that happens when you're 16 and you realize that your whole life has been stupid and you throw yourself on the mercy of God. It is supposed to be a daily, hourly, minute thing. In your weakness, He is made strong. In your recognition, your revelation of your inability to ever save yourself from anything, that you are completely codependent on God. Then salvation is a regular happening in your life. It was never meant to be a singular experience that one time, that one day, in that one moment. He wants to be your Savior for eternity. And that includes sickness and disease. That includes poverty. That includes, includes depression and oppression. Whatever you got. He wants to save you from it. If you'll let Him. Which means you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth. Number two. To preserve one who is in danger of destruction. To save or rescue. Little b. To save in the technical biblical sense. That's where most people land. And that's about it. C, to deliver from the penalties of the messianic judgment. You know, there's still a lot of people that believe that there's a judgment, a wrath to come for them for all the dumb things that they've done and said. And Poor, poor fools. Jesus has borne all of your wrath, 
all of your judgment, all of your punishment, for all of your sins, for all of time. That is good news. For some of you, it may be too good to be true. It's still true. Fifty-seven times it was used in the context of eternal redemption or to rescue or be forgiven of sin. Eighteen times it was used as a physical rescue while you are in imminent danger. That's like drowning or there was multiple times in scriptures that it was literally used like someone was about to die and there was terrible stuff. Sixteen times it was used as it related to sickness and disease. So it was used almost as many times as it related to sickness and disease as it was to being rescued from like drowning. And we still, a majority of the body of Christ, don't believe in the divine health or the healing aspect of the kingdom of God, the good news of a Savior who wants to save you from even that part of life. Nine times it was referenced as a soul salvation. Oh, dear Jesus. I, would, I could totally camp out right here for about five days and talk to you about your soul. Because we let all kinds of misery and destruction get into our soul. And we just accept it as the human experience. And don't realize that Jesus wants to save you from that. Man. And I'll tell you this. A lot of people, the physical problems in your life are deeply connected to the soulish problems in your life. Another person, another testimony, and I'll do this real quick. Another testimony that I experienced this weekend was a gal who had... A, a disease that uh, it was rash and pain over her entire body. And she came up to me in tears. She was totally broken. And she's like, da-da-da-da, you know, this stuff. And I tried. And they don't, I've gone to every doctor. They don't even know what it is. And I'm like, that's awesome. <laughs> and she's like, what the crap? I'm like, the reason it's awesome is because if they had some name for it and they told you all the things that it did, then it would drill down into you and it would be so hard for me to... But because nobody knows what it is, we can just go to God and you, you don't have some other thing blocking you. And she's like, okay, I'll go with that. And I, I went to lay hands on her and immediately the Lord gave me a, a word for her and some understanding that she was from a little girl. She was badly mistreated. And she had she had embraced this. Um, she literally had felt all of her life that she was dirty, and I, the Lord showed me all this stuff in like a moment of time. And I said to her, I was about to like just declare over this, rat, and I'm like, "Your father says that you are pure." Man, this gal fell apart. She came undone. And so I just ministered into that for a while. I dealt with that condemnation, that shame, and that guilt. from, And I kept good. And I never one time said anything to the rash, said anything to the pain, and it was all gone by the time I was done. Not one time dealt with it. There are a bunch of people that the reason that you're struggling with things that you are is because there is some kind of a... Uh, a slavery that is happening in your soul and in your emotions and you have never really fully released yourself from it and it's manifesting in the physical. Sixteen times the Lord, when He healed people, cast out demons. 
16 times. I think there's 61 times in Scripture where he healed a single person or a group of people. And of that, 16 times he cast demons out of people, which is basically a third of the times that Jesus healed people, he had to get rid of demonic possession and oppression first. And never dealt with the sickness or the disease, because when the demon left, the problem left. Luke chapter 1. This is Mary, the physical mother of Jesus. And this is what's called Mary's song. This is when uh, she goes to Elizabeth. And I don't want to go there, but I just want to show you a couple of verses that Mary said so that I can highlight the difference that we're talking about in salvation and eventually going into the Lord being king and then eventually him moving into your life as friend. Verse 46, and Mary sang this song. My soul, can you go to uh, the King James, please, sis? The, uh, in the King James it says, and Mary said, my soul doth magnify the Lord. Your soul is a magnifier. Anything your soul looks at, focuses on, listens to, is magnified. That's why some of the things that you think are a problem in your life would literally make me giggle. Because you've focused on it for so long, you've made it this massive thing. It's like the devil can like, you're going down the road and the devil throws a toothpick in front of you. And then you look at it and you look at it and you look at it and you look at it. Eventually it becomes this great big huge oak tree and he's beating you over the head with it. When the whole time it was a toothpick. Mary said that your soul is a magnifier. It magnifies what it's focused on. Specifically, in this moment, Mary had her soul magnifying the lordship of God. You know, this doesn't say, my soul does magnify the Savior. Your soul either magnifies or demagnifies the lordship, the kingship of Jesus. And my spirit, the next verse is, and my spirit does rejoice in God my Savior. Your spirit is the salvation point, flowing point. God works from your spirit because God is a spirit. You have to let your soul magnify Him as Lord and as King if you're going to move from just experiencing moments of salvation. You guys have all heard me, heard me use the example, and I, I don't want to replay it too much, but you've heard me uh, use what I call Lois Lane Christianity. Lois Lane Christianity is, Lois Lane is always in the top of the building, and she's always somehow finding herself in these most terrible situations... And she's always falling into danger, like falling out of the top of the building because she was trying to get the great picture for the newspaper. And her Superman can fly from anywhere in the universe and catch her right before she hits the ground and swoop her up and bring her in close to his bosom and she can hear super heartbeat and she nuzzles into his big strong chest and he floats her magically back up to the top of the building and then drops her into safety next to her office 
And then he does that cool Superman with the cape flowing behind him. And he leans down and he gives her that sweet Superman kiss. And Lois like, my Savior. And then he flies off to save, to do his job, which is save the universe. And so what does Lois do? Well, she does what most of us do. We get destitute of soul. We get all emotional. We get all worked up. We get into another problem. And so what we need is that sweet kiss from our Savior again. We need that strong chest up against our heads. So we find another, well, here's a good ledge. Ah! 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 Here's a good financial ledge. I have a Discover card swipe. Ah! Jesus, save me right before Jesus swoops in. Because that's what He does. He's a Savior. He doesn't just save smart people. He saves Lois Lanes. And this is... This is at least 90% of the body of Christ. It's tragedy, crisis, problem, misery, destruction, Savior. Wash, rinse, repeat. Destruction, Savior. Destruction, Savior. Destruction, Savior. 40 years, 60 years, over and over. Because He comes in every time and saves you. And you get that five minutes where your head's pressed up against his chest and you hear his heartbeat and then he gives you that sweet kiss of love. And that is a terrible way to do Christianity. Terrible. You have made Jesus a cartoon. Congratulations. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Luke chapter 2, these are the angels that were proclaiming the birth of Jesus. Verse 10, And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. Is that you? Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. You have to know Him as Savior. He had to be... he had to be released to the Lord, to the world as Savior first, so then people could eventually move into Him being their Lord. And most people stalled out at Savior. 1 John chapter 4, verse 13, Hereby know we that we dwell in Him and He in us, because He has given us of His Spirit. And we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Next, we recognize that we come in as a baby, learn the laws, the ordinances, and the culture of the kingdom, and then obey Him as King. And just saying the word obey made some of you cringe. Obey. I'm not going to obey nothing. I'm a free American. Take that obedience. This is... Man, talk about having an impact. This is discipleship. Yay! Favorite word ever! 
Yeah, does, you know what a, a discipler is supposed to be teaching a disciplee? Obedience. What did Ryan say? Accountability. Those are cuss words. Don't you dare talk to me about obedience, accountability. I'm not going to be accountable to nobody. I have no judge but God. Really? I got news for you. You keep that up, and you're about to meet him as judge. Mm-hmm. And you ain't going to like it, because he's way more understanding than I am. This is discipleship, where we learn about his lordship. Lordship starts with compliance. Without this, there is no rule of order. You don't get to live in his kingdom your way. It's his kingdom. (laughs) Amen. It's not your kingdom. You you come into K&I's home, you you follow the rules. There's not a lot of them, but you follow them. Amen. If you don't want to follow them, don't come in the house. If you're in the house and you're not following them, I believe in the Second Amendment. Amen. William and Martina are staying. Everybody say hi to William and Martina. Uh, They stayed at our house last night. They came down from Wisconsin to come hang out and do church with us. And so, uh, and they're good friends. And uh, I just realized that they stayed in our house last night. And I'm like, you guys did fine. I didn't have to shoot you or nothing. Yep. (laughs) You obeyed good. I didn't pull my gun or anything yet. Lordship starts with compliance. Without this, there is no rule of law. Consequences and benefits for behaviors and attitudes are the main process of this place in life. This is obedience and authentic trust in the power, ability, goodness, love of the supreme ruler of his kingdom. When he moves into Lord or King, the definition of Lord is a master. Man, you, nobody likes that word. Master. It's actually, when I'm, when I'm intimate and silent with the Lord, that's, the, that's one of the main names that I call him. I'm calling him Master. Because I want him to master my life. Master. A person possessing supreme power and authority. A ruler. A governor. When you hear people talk about, you know, I argued with God all week about this thing with this. He's not Lord. You're arguing with him? (laughs) He ain't Lord. You don't walk into a king's throne room and say, well, I got something to tell you, king. I came out there from the ghetto and I got some stuff. I got some bones to pick with you, cowboy. You you know what you're going to do? You're going to figure out how to walk without your head. You ain't getting very far. King. A male monarch. I know, male. How, how dare us actually realize that there are two sexes. A male monarch of a major territorial unit, especially one whose position is hereditary and whose rules for life. And who rules for life? For life. For life. As long as the king's drawing breath, he's king. Yeah. 
How long do you think our king is going to draw a breath? <laughs> oh, Lord. B, a paramount chief. Two, capitalized, God or Christ. The dictionary literally says that when you look up the word king, it literally talks about God and Christ. The dictionary is better than most Christians. That was hilarious when I read It's funnier for me than you. <laughs> Proverbs 17.2, check this out. Here's a revelation. A wise servant shall have rule over a son that causes shame. A wise servant shall have rule over a son that causes shame. You know, when you're born again, you became a son. And there are people that actually have better understanding of being obedient, submitted, and fearful to God than you are while you're born again. And they are going to experience more of the benefits of the kingdom than you are. Man, I'll tell you what, when you get that, it is going to be very humbling. Because I've recognized this, that there were people in this world that are not born again, not Christian, not godly, and are experiencing ten times the amount of blessing that you are. Because they've understood this, they're at least being a wise servant to morality, to character, to courage. 1 Samuel 15, this is Samuel talking to the first king of Israel. And Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices? You know how many people say, Well, I did this for the Lord, and I did this, and I gave this much money, and I'm a tither, and I didn't cuss that one guy that one time when he cut me off. And you tell me all the things that you've done for the Lord. Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to hearken than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. Oh, Lordy. And stubbornness is as the iniquity of idolatry. You know how many people say, this is like cool, like, well, I'm just a stubborn person. You know what you just said? Do you know what you just said? Because I don't think you did. So maybe this is the first time you figured out that this scripture was in the Bible, but please don't say that about yourself ever again. Because thou has rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected thee from being king. Luke chapter 6. And why call ye me Lord, Lord? In verse 46. And do not the things which I say. (laughs) Jesus specifically said, don't do it. Don't open up your prayer. Lord Jesus. When you know you ain't doing what he told you to do. You can say, dear Jesus. Savior Jesus. Merciful Jesus. Don't open up with Lord Jesus unless He's Lord. Because you're defiling your heart and your conscience. If He ain't Lord, don't call Him Lord. Amen. Why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? Whosoever comes to me and hears my sayings and does them, 
This isn't just about, hey, I sat in church and heard the message, Pastor. Okay, what'd you do with it? Whoever comes to me and hears my sayings and does them, I will show you to whom he is like. This is a parable. He is like a man which built a house and digged deep and laid the foundation on a rock. Savior, rock, Savior. And when the flood arose, when the flood, not if the flood, when the flood, when the flood arose, the stream beat vehemently against the house and could not shake it. Praise Jesus. This is the fourth man in the fire. It is for, for it was founded upon a rock, Jesus. But he that hears and does not, they both heard. They both sat at Beloved Church and heard the cool preaching. Amen? Uh, whatever. That was a great opportunity for you. You done missed it. They both sat there. They both heard the same message. One did, one did not. What was the results? They both heard and does not. This person that didn't do it is like a man without a foundation built. Uh, without a foundation built a house upon the earth. The earth. What's earth? Humanity. Normal. Your own strength. The dirtiness of who you are. On the earth. Built it on an earth against which the stream did, did vehemently and beat vehemently and immediately it fell. Immediately. Immediately. And the ruin of that house was great. Do you realize one of them withstood the same exact stream that the other one was vehemently destroyed by? The same exact thing happened to both houses. Let me say this, if you're healthy, if you understand Jesus as Savior, if you have Him as Lord and you have Him as King and you've dug that foundation, dug and planted that firm foundation, the exact same thing that takes your neighbor out is the thing that you're in the house sipping cocoa, making goo-goo eyes at your wife because she's beautiful, while the other house is being completely destroyed. The same tyranny that is coming to your land, the same war that this whole world is experiencing between light and dark, good and evil, is going to take your neighbor into a complete spiral of destruction while you're sitting there thinking, come on, great awakening. Come on, great awakening. Finally, a full, transparent, and authentic submission of the deep places of the heart. This is where true friendship is developed. Over time and from the heart. This is the desire to do the right thing with or without consequences. When you truly have a friend, you're not worried about consequences. You're worried about friendship. Most people, I'll say this, very few people are friends with Jesus. I don't even know if I am. And I'm out of time. This is the most important part. Let me, let me synopsize this by saying, there was one person in all of Scripture 
that God called friend. One. 4,000 years of human history. People slaying giants. People withstanding the flood of the whole earth. Enoch walking with God disappeared for 300 years. Walked so intimately with God that he literally just one day arrived at heaven. And there's only one person in all of scripture that was called God's friend. And it's not Jesus. It was Abraham. One person. Now Jesus offers friendship to all men. And Jesus is friend with you. But how many people are actually friends with him? When's the last time you opened up your prayer life? Good morning, Lord. What would you like to talk about? And what would you like for me to do for you today? How many times have you gone through your day and said, you know, what would be the most friendly thing that I could do to Jesus all day today? What could I bless him with? What would be amazing for him to experience from me? You know, he wants to be your friend. He offered it to the disciples. He says, henceforth I call you no more servants in John chapter 15, but now I call you friends. He calls us friend. I think Phillips, Craig, and Dean in their cool song did a little bit of a disservice to the body of Christ because they sing this song, you know, He calls me friend. And he does. And most people take that and say, well, I'm a friend of God, as in you are friendly to Him. That's really not what's happening. He is friendly to you. It would be wise for you to reciprocate that. When you have a friend, especially a best friend, what kind of stirred this was, man, I'm sorry, I'm done. My, my niece, you guys know I call her Ham Huck. She, I was talking to Kay on the phone. This was while I was traveling, and Kay was having a great time with having, her, having our niece come spend the night with her. And so they were going uh, down the road, and uh, I called Kay about some stuff, and she's like, hey, someone wants to talk to you. And so Ham Huck got, hey, Uncle Steve. Da, 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 da. She, you know, you got to wait like five minutes to... Until she has to draw breath. And then, hey, how are you? So she said, you know what my dad said? My dad said that I can only have one best friend. And I don't like that. What do you say, Uncle Steve? And I'm, oh my God, what a place. Do I argue with the dad? Do I not argue with him? Like, I'm like, how about this, Ham Hawk? How about you can have, because she's like, and, and Trinity's my best friend, because she was going to church the next Sunday, and Trinity's my best friend, and we've got the three musketeers, and da, 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 and she was on and on. I was like, whoa, 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 how about you have the person that you're with in that moment is your best friend? And she's like, okay. <laughs> I was like, thank you, Jesus. Dodged a bullet on that one. And then I really started thinking about it, and Jesus was like, that's eh, not far off. How about the one you're with is your best friend? I'm like, well, I don't really want just like random people coming in and going out of best friend. He said, you're missing it, son. I'm like, oh, you will never leave me nor forsake me. The one I'm with every day, every moment of every day could be my best friend. 
could be, but not often is. And I'm being transparent. I'm being naked and unashamed in front of you that I'm letting you know that I don't know if God really sees me as friend. But I want to be. But the only way to get to friend is to really, truly, authentically, humbly, submissively have Savior, King, then friend. Please rise. I'd like to bless you. Thank you so much for sharing this time with us as we have encountered Jesus Christ through the ministry of his life-changing word. If you would like to learn more about Steve Castle Ministries and Beloved Church, you can go online to stevecastle.com or belovedchurchillinois.com. You can also contact us at 815-990-0367. Always remember that you are a part of the Beloved Family of God, and Beloved Church is the place where you are greatly loved. Now please open your heart to receive as Pastor Steve proclaims the blessing of the Father over your life. I pray, I declare that above all things that you allow the finished work of the cross to bring prosperity into your finances and also divine health prospering your body and all of these things are going to affect you in a supernatural way as you allow your soul, your mind, your will, your emotions and your personality to be perfected in prosperity that the Father desires for you to have. We love you and we cannot wait to see and be with you again soon. Goodbye, beloved.